athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. I just want to see if you're going to lie, you're going to let me. I was getting 16 plus years in, by now you know the show. I am your host, Donald Ware. We've got a lot to get to on today's program. Georgia, the national champions of college football. Georgia, the national champions of college football. And why I don't cheer for a team specifically, you know, I had to give it up for Georgia. Like, we've seen Alabama dominate. We've seen Alabama win it multiple times. Over the course of the last, I don't know, six or seven years, it's either been Alabama or it's been Clemson for the most part. So it was good to see someone other than Alabama win the national championship, and ultimately it was Georgia, and it was a really, really good football game. Not in the beginning. Uh, defensive struggle, very low scoring. I think the turning point in the football game, I mean, I, I don't know. So for me, when I look back at the game, and I can, I think I can even remember thinking back. Remember when the score was 6-3, to three, Alabama was driving had put together a nice drive, um, as a matter of fact. And on third down, Bryce Young took that sack all the way back to like the 20-yard line. It was a third and goal for Alabama. Young took the sack all the way back to like the 20-yard line, and it then called for a 37-yard field goal as opposed to, um, I don't know, maybe Alabama going for it, uh, maybe getting a little bit closer, you never know. Maybe you get to the goal line, fourth and one, you go for it perhaps to try to go up at that point 13-3. to three. The field goal made it, and the momentum, right? Like Alabama had all of the momentum. That field goal made it 9-3. to three. And I think from there, it, 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 I mean, for the most part, like it was pretty much downhill from an offensive perspective. I mean, there were some plays that were made offensively by Alabama over the course of the game because that was with about midway through the second quarter when Bryce Young was sacked. And I think that was a turning point in this football game. Uh, again, a defensive struggle in the beginning. Ultimately, Georgia came on and uh, really did some things offensively that um, – you know, and, and more so, I would say, in the air, right? Like, you look at Stetson Bennett. I mean, he had a very solid football game. Um, I, I thought the Bulldogs didn't get – didn't have a great running game, really at all. Didn't have a great running game. Got that huge, you know, 60 – I think it was a 67-yard run 
ultimately um, that, you know, in the latter part of the game uh, that was very huge by James Cook was very, very huge in the football game. So this was a great game. I mean, I think when you look at and, – and last week when I was talking about Georgia and Georgia's victory over Michigan, I'm like, when you look at this and a lot of it was preparation, right? The, the game against Michigan, some of it preparation uh, for the national championship game ultimately, right? Like Kirby Smart still coaching his guys at Georgia. Same thing happened in the SAC championship game when it was a pretty much a foregone conclusion that Alabama would win the football game. Kirby Smart still getting after his guys, still coaching his guys, right? Because he knows there's going to be another opportunity. And so I think I like the preparation. Like I think, I mean, and it's not to take anything away from the preparation by Alabama. Like Alabama was ready to rock and roll. That defense, absolutely tremendous. For the most part, shut the running game down of Georgia until Georgia needed a big-time run and ultimately got it. And then let me tell you, the way in which the game was sealed, Kelly Ringo with the 79-yard interception return for a touchdown. Yeah, he could have gone down. Like, all he really all he had to do was go down and the game would have been over. That's how you cap off a national championship. By beating the team that was the favorite that beat you in the SEC championship game and has been the perennial team in college football in terms of winning and then ultimately winning national championships over the last 10 or 15 years. That's the way you get it done. No need to go down. I mean, yeah, it could have gone down, right? It would have been all good. That's the way you finish off a national championship game. So congratulations to the Bulldogs. Had been since 1980 since Georgia had won a national championship, has played in a national championship game going back a couple of years ago to Watunga Vailoa. You're gonna, rem- of course, you know that name. Uh, and uh, Georgia lost that game uh, in overtime to Alabama, but that's how you get it done. And Kirby Sparks got a really, really, obviously a really, really good program there uh, at Georgia. It takes nothing away from Alabama and what it was able to accomplish. And you best believe that those two teams are going to be right back uh, in the hunt on next season. So now the college football season is officially over and we can transition into college basketball more full time. Even with that said, like I look at college athletics, right? And I'm going to, you know, I'll talk about in this instance, football a little bit more specifically. Do you know that there are over uh, since since August of 2021, since August of 2021, there have been. okay, in in excess of thirteen hundred student athletes that have put their names in the transfer portal. Over 1,300 
student app. That's just for football. 1,300. College athletics is out of control when you look at that transfer portal. When you look at the NIL or name, image, and likeness, it is absolutely out of control, and that's something I want to definitely talk about today here on the program. I want to get your thoughts. Do you think ultimately, do you think ultimately that college football is out of control? Do you ultimately think that college football is out of control? You can hit me up via Twitter at Box to Row or, or college athletics, not just football, college athletics as a whole, because I mean, I'll look at, in a matter of fact, while we're talking, I'll have my producer look up the numbers or try to look at the numbers in terms of how many basketball how many basketball players are in the transfer portal I'd be, I'd, I'd be interested to know that I mean I think they're they're like football you can be in the transfer portal for a number of different reasons I mean you're you know if you're a quarterback um and there's only one quarterback spot right so like if it's not panning out for you you put your name in the transfer portal you know, maybe you have another opportunity. I mean, if you're if you're this kid uh, from Oklahoma, put his name in the the, the quarterback, uh, put his name in the transfer portal uh, for benefits to tie in both uh, both the transfer portal and NIL, which I think both are out of control. Caleb Williams puts his name into the transfer portal because. You know, it could be of benefit to him from an NIL perspective. He could get money dependent upon which school he goes to. And you know what? The NCAA threw its hands up in the air. Everybody wanted this, and the the name, image, and likeness deal goes all the way back, uh, at least from what I first remember, to Ed O'Bannon and the whole video game, the NCAA video game deal, and 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 using the names in the video game and all of those kind of things, right? Goes all the way back to that time. I think that may have been the early part of the 2000s, if I'm not mistaken. But now we've come to a point where we have people putting their names in the transfer portal to make as much money as they possibly can. Again, NCAA said have at it. And now we're seeing actually what is happening i'm not saying at all that student athletes shouldn't be able to make money and more even specifically make money maybe off maybe off their name image and likeness like what i like and i'm a traditionalist i guess i'm just a a a college athletics traditionalist right i've worked you know for six years of my life, I worked in college athletics professionally, and that didn't even count the years prior to that when I was a student uh, in college athletics on the in the sports information side of things. So I guess I'm just a traditionalist in that manner. But this name, image, and likeness is out of control. The transfer portal is out of control, uh, and as a matter of fact, so there are. Uh, over 1,700 basketball players that entered the transfer portal um, in the in the off season, right? Uh, meaning uh, prior to this season that we're in now. But of those, almost 1,500 found 
new homes. So we can talk a little bit more about that a little bit later on in the program. Let me set the table in terms of our guests today here on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio. We're going to be joined by Miami Hurricanes head men's basketball coach Jim Laranega on the program. The Hurricanes coming off a big win last week against Duke at Duke, as a matter of fact. Plus, and joining us next, Isaiah Land, linebacker for the Florida A&M Rattlers, was named the best defensive football player in all of FCS as last week he was awarded the Buck Buchanan Award again for the best defensive player in all of FCS football. He's going to join us here on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio next. On the way, it's more of From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware. Right, 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 right here, right here on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. Is Precious Rose Dunlap, and this is my mother, Michelle Timlake Roll, founder of Marjorie's Beef Jerky Incorporated. We would at this time like to thank our new customers as well as our repeating customers for your business. For every one million orders that we receive, our company is giving two million dollars away to the bottom of 400 of our paid customers. You see, that's the way we roll. So come place an order at Marjorie's Beef The old renaissance is the new renaissance, standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company, uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way, Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whip Beer, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. For more information, log on to their website at harlembeernc.com. Radio, right here on Sirius XM. Let's continue here on Box to Row. We're joined by a gentleman. As a matter of fact, last week was named the best defensive player in all of FCS football as the winner of the Buck Buchanan Award last month. He was named the Boxero Willie Davis Defensive Player of the Year. Also had a phenomenal season for Florida A&M, who had a really, really good defense, one of the top defenses in all of FCS. He is a linebacker originally from Buffalo, he is Isaiah Land of the Florida A&M Rattlers. Joins us here on Box to Row. Isaiah, Happy New Year. Congratulations and welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So the first obvious question, right? The obvious question is, are the Buffalo Bills going to win this weekend over the New England Patriots? You're a Buffalo. You're from oh, yeah. Buffalo. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, a, that's for sure right there. And we at home with it. My roommate, he a Patriots fan. He's from Massachusetts, <laughs> so we got some beef going on. So we got to settle this day, uh, this Saturday. No no question, man. Do you think – because Buffalo got the best of New England the last time. Of course, we know what happened the first time as uh, what New England only ran the football – only uh, only threw the football, excuse me, three times in this football game. Mm-hmm. What is it going to take for Buffalo 
to win this game. Like, Buffalo's the favorite. I think Buffalo's going to win, but what is it going to take for Buffalo to beat a Bill Belichick team? I feel like they just got to – as long as they – their offense is pretty explosive, so as long as the defense keep them down to a couple scores, then I feel like we're going to be successful. Offense ain't going to have no problem scoring. It's so, just – it's all on the defense. All, okay, all right. I, I, I like that. Okay, all on the defense. I know you'll be front and center. So, of course, you're originally from Buffalo, but you grew up – near the Atlanta area, correct? Talk about that and sort of coming up uh, uh, coming up in uh, coming up in Georgia. Okay, so I left, me and my family left Buffalo. Me and my mom and my brothers, we left Buffalo in 2006. And we, um, we ended up going to Stone Mountain, Georgia. And that's where I played my first time playing football. I was, I played, I was seven years old. And that was my first year. My mom didn't really have any money back then when we, when we first got to Georgia. She got she has she built the foundation, but when we first got here, she couldn't even afford for us to play football. So she used to work the concessions for us to play football when we first started playing. And I stopped playing probably eleventh grade, and we had ended up moving to Gwinnett County. That uh, I think when I was like eleven or twelve years old, no, ten years old, matter of fact. So I stopped playing football in like sixth grade. And then I started playing again my junior year. And little did I know, I didn't know that Grayson, the area that we moved to, was the best, like one of the best football programs in the country. So me just going out there my junior year, I was able to get a scholarship by my senior year. And that's how I ended up at FAMU. Yeah, no doubt. I, I, it's interesting because, I mean, you I mean, you had a really good season overall, right? But in, in particular, and I, and I was – you know, you had such a game with the five sacks um, that you had against South Carolina State. And so I'm like, okay, I text uh, Coach Simmons. I'm like, who is this kid, Isaiah? He's got five, he had five sacks in the game. I mean, you don't hear about that. I think the week before you, you know, you had a bunch of tackles for loss. Um, and, he, and he said, hey, this was like one of my first recruits, if not my first recruit as the head football coach at FAMU. So t- take us through sort of that process with your senior year, did you have any other other offers and why you chose Florida A&M? Okay, so going into my senior year, my um my D-line coach, like we, we played our, our defense at high school was a 3-3 stack. So, like, most of our ends went to college and played, like, D-tackle. Like, we had big boy ends. And the only two ends, only couple ends that, um, that they had, he used to make a little package. And he used to make a package where it was a four down front and we used to pass rush. So, Basically, like my senior year, I didn't even really start. I didn't. I just got on the field. I literally got on the field because my coaches, even my head coach Heron, after he left, he called and asked about me like a couple years ago, and like they used to just see how hard I used to go on scout team and how bothering I was to like helping the team get better. So like my coach, he just really wanted to find a way to get me on the field. So he made a little pass rush package, and I used to probably play like 15, 20 snaps a game, if even that, and I and I ended up leading the team in sacks my senior year. And uh, my junior, I was on the JV squad, but I played a little bit of uh, varsity, and then I ended up getting hurt in the playoffs. So my my senior year is where I had 11 sacks, and then um, I had one offer from UT Chattanooga, but it wasn't really like a real offer. They didn't let me commit because I was one of those type of kids. I was like, whatever school gives me a chance, I'm gonna go, and I'm gonna just I'm gonna just buy in with them. So when UT Chat came and offered me, I tried to commit that day, and they didn't want me to. They didn't let me commit, so it wasn't. I didn't really take it as a real offer. So, FAMU, they came around 
probably like a week before signing day, if even that. It was probably like six days, five days before the um the last signing day in February, and they had their last visiting crew coming that that weekend for the official visit. So at first, like I was kind of like I was kind of big headed because my my team in my high school they send a lot of kids power five. So I was one of those kids. I was like, man, if I don't go power five, I'm just go JUCO, and they're gonna see it, I'm worth power five. So I was like. Cause they'll they'll bring me down there to the field house to talk to coaches and I just look at their shirt and I if I see FCS if I don't see FBS or no Power Five I'm gonna just I just I used to just walk out and one day when the FAMU coaches came my um my coach Saints he was the linebacker coach he told me to just go on the visit and then um he said just go on the visit and then you you decide if you don't want to go or not so I went on the visit and I uh, I fell in love with FAMU. And I fell in love. I really didn't fall in love with the football aspect because that's when they were, they were just coming out of, like, they was a losing program. They didn't have a really good facilities at all. It was just the fact that they were giving me a chance, and I just liked the culture of the school and stuff. So I ended up coming to FAMU. And, Coach, yeah, Coach Simmons and them was my – like, that was their first year, and that was my first year. So we were their first recruiting class. So I really just bought into, like, helping build FAMU. I saw that. After that first season when we had went like seven and four, I think we had. I just saw how much the program changed, and then I seen how it elevated even more after we went nine and two, and then it just ever since then, like every year we would have a winning season. You could see it on the on our campus that we had a winning season. Like most schools, I go to Alabama, but they go undefeated. Everything go probably look the same. They just add another trophy. But like at FAMU, we we watching them build new locker rooms and new weight rooms and stuff every time we win because it's, it's bringing in more money and more stuff to the school. So I just like the fact that I'm helping but build something at FAMU and how it's a historical school. And, like, it's it's been big it's been uh, big time schools trying to get me to go on the portal and stuff lately, but I just really sticking in. I really bought into, like, the whole FAMU-lead thing, and I just really take pride in, like, playing for FAMU. So um, I just stuck to my word is, like, whatever team gave me – uh, a chance I was going to stick with him and make other schools regret it, basically. Very well said. That is the voice of Isaiah Land, linebacker for the Florida A&M Rattlers. As a matter of fact, named the best player in all of FCS football is the Buck Buchanan winner. Also, the Box to Row Willie Davis, Defensive Player of the Year as he joins us here on Box to Row. Isaiah, as you know, only a handful of HBCU kids have ever won the Buck Buchanan Award, even though it's named for an HBCU player, uh, what did it mm-hmm. mean to you as a as a as a Rattler, uh, as uh, an HBCUer, if you will, mm-hmm. to win this prestigious award? Um, it's it's really honorable, and it's like it's it's like my whole journey with football. I always wanted it to be meaningful. I didn't want to just be known for like just being a good football player. I wanted to be known for like being like the first or few to do this and that. So like it feels good to be the first rattler to get it and it feels good to like be a part of the HBCU legacy of being great among the whole FCS. So I just feel like all my dreams are starting to fall in line. It's not they're not it's, I haven't completed everything I wanted to accomplish, but this is definitely a good start to like what I've always dreamed of doing in my, with my life. Yeah. What did you know? I mean it's interesting because the hundred black men that the the game that was in Atlanta, Florida A and M used to play in it uh, from time to time. So, did you know a lot about uh, or anything about FAMU or HBCUs for that matter before making the commitment to the Rattlers? 
Um, the crazy thing about it, um, before I even was playing football, my freshman year, my, my older cousin, she she was a Zeta at FAMU. We came here for their homecoming game and because she had a little step show the day before the game. So we went to the step show, and then we went to the homecoming game. And, like, before we even got to the stadium, I was just looking around and just seeing, like, the culture. And I was just like – I wasn't planning on going to college then. I was like – Wow, if I was to go to college, I'd go to a college like this one right here. Because I didn't really know the difference between HBCUs. And I just thought some schools had more black people than others. I didn't know that it was like a set thing, like HBCUs versus PWIs. So I didn't know it was the difference. So when I seen that, I was like, like, I really like this. And the crazy thing about it is like a couple years later, that ended up being my, my, my only offer in high school was FAMU. So I just felt like it was destiny. Like my mom and my family used to always tell me like, like, it's, it's destiny that I, I got to go walk to campus before I even played football. And I said it myself that I would play, that I would come there. And I wasn't even, like, on no football right then. I was just coming as a regular student. So, it's yeah. just, I feel like it was destiny for me to be a Rattler. Yeah. How tough a loss was that to Jackson State to open the season? I mean, it, it was really up until a point your only, you know, your only loss and, you know, ultimately prevented you all from playing in the SWAC championship game in the celebration, but although you did get to play uh, some postseason play, but how tough a game was that against Jackson State? A defensive struggle, 7-6. to six. Um, Well, since I played defense, I feel like, from my perspective of the game, I didn't feel like it wasn't really a struggle. It was like they were they were good, but they weren't – They were, we were – our defense is dominant enough to like where they didn't give us a hard time at all. In my opinion, I feel like that one touchdown they got, they had got like some penalties that led up into them getting that deep into the um, red zone. But I feel like other than those couple mistakes, I feel like we could have shut them out. And that I feel like that game just showed that like, um, that showed that we wasn't, we weren't really, we, we were, that was like a sign. I, I take every lesson. I take every L as a lesson. So like, I take that as like, God showing us like we weren't we weren't deserving of winning the ring this year, but it was like it, he just wanted to show us that we we're capable of winning the ring, but we just weren't deserving of it. That the fact that we won we lost by one point, and the same team they lost to that Jackson State lost to, they didn't get a ring either. We th- we thinking this is going to be us or Jackson State who get a ring. It's crazy how South Carolina State ended up getting a ring, and we blew South Carolina State out the water. I feel like that was just a sign from God that like. We just need to buy in more as a team. It's not just all about what we do on the field. I feel like it's like things that's off the field that make you deserving of winning a ring. I don't think it really has to do with talent. I feel like talent gets you like a good record and stuff, but I feel like the team that's more deserving is going to get the ring. So I feel like that's why we didn't, we weren't able to do what we wanted to this year. Florida A&M linebacker Isaiah Land. He's the Buck Buchanan winner for the best player in all of FCS football also. Boxster Willie Davis, Defensive Player of the Year. He joins us here on the program. So what are you working on now to sort of get ready uh, for next season? What are some of the things you think you need to improve or can improve upon? Um, one thing I feel like I need to improve upon is my weight. I feel like I need to get up to at least like 230, 240. But um, also I need to – it's been a, it was like a couple games where they they planned for me and it was like I had two people on me so I feel like I need to work on being able to still create pressure with with two people or with somebody chipping me and because it was it was games that I really like Alabama A and M or um it was Alabama A and M Grambling I had a point five 
Alabama and them, I didn't have anything. It was like it was really like one of those games they just planned for me, and like I can't I can't be I can't let that affect my game. I gotta still be dominant even if they do plan for me, because it was a couple games where I went quiet just because of the fact that they had multiple people uh, on me each play. So I just feel like I need to work on my getting uh, put on some more weight on and work on my upper body strength so I can shed tackles. I mean, said blocks off better. Yeah. He had 43 tackles on the season, 25 and a half for loss, 19. Count them, 19 sacks on the season. Isaiah Land, linebacker for Florida A&M, winner of the Buck Buchanan Award for the best player in all of FCS, also winner of the Boxer Willie Davis Defensive Player of the Year for the best defensive player in HBCU football as he joins us here on Box to Row. Isaiah, great to catch up with you, man. I appreciate you, you know, sharing your story or a bit of your story uh, with mm-hmm. us. Continued success in all you do, and we look forward to talking with you uh, during the 2022 season. Thank you for having me. Thank you for letting me be able to um, tell my story. You got it, Isaiah. Glad for you to come on and tell your story. Didn't know that, that Isaiah grew up in Atlanta, from Buffalo. Is really obviously pulling for the Bills this weekend against New England, which should be a good football game. I think the Bills are going to win that football game. Uh, but, again, Isaiah Land, you look at him, and like I said, I mean, you can have a guy that will have a four or five sack game. It's very, very rare. And then you don't hear from him the rest of the season. But Isaiah Land was extremely consistent uh, to the point, to the tune of 25 and a half tackles for loss on the season, 19 sacks on the season, saw a lot of double teams. And to his point, he's he, he's listed at 6'4", 215. I think when I or when I talked with Coach Simmons, I think I, when he, he mentioned that, he was like in, in high school, like 185 when they went to go and recruit him. So he has put on a little bit of weight, uh, looking to put on some more weight uh, to be able to handle those double teams uh, next year. But this, that Florida A&M defense is very, very solid. It's going to miss Marquise Bell, of course, who uh, may have an opportunity to be drafted in, in the upcoming National Football League draft. Uh, but, uh, again, even without Marquise Bell, having a guy like an Isaiah Land, who, again, named the best player in all of FCS football, going to be key for the Rattlers on next year. Up next here. On Box to Row, we're going to talk with Miami Hurricanes head men's basketball coach Jim Laranega. We track down the names making news in sports from the press box to press row. It's Donald Ware from the press box to press row. Let's keep things going here on Poxtero on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. We're joined by a gentleman in his 11th season as the head men's basketball coach at Miami. The Hurricanes atop the ACC with a 5-1 record, 13-4 overall, coming off a big win last Saturday against Duke. Of course, formerly at George Mason and Bowling Green. He is Jim Laranega, joins us here on Box to Row. Happy New Year to you, Coach Laranega, and welcome to the program. Oh, my pleasure, and Happy New Year to you and your fans. We we appreciate that very much. We got a lot to get to. I want to start here. I know you had a tough game 
on uh, on Tuesday against Florida State, a rivalry game, one in which you fall uh, by one point. Talk about that game. I didn't have a chance to see that game, but when I looked at the stats and looked at a, the box score, I mean, it essentially came down to two made free throws at the end by Florida State. Well, actually, it was a, a really exciting and tremendous basketball exit uh, game. I'm sorry, uh, college basketball game that was uh, very well executed by both teams. And we seesawed back and forth in the first half. We got ahead 15 to 7. They came back and took the lead. And then at halftime, uh, we were up by one. And then in the second half, it seesawed back and forth again. And with, um, I believe, about 10 seconds to go, we called a timeout. And we ran a play with about 10 seconds to go. Charlie Moore missed a driving layup. Jordan Miller got the offensive rebound and kicked it out to Charlie Moore, who buried a three-point shot. We were down two at the time, so we took a one-point lead with seven seconds to go. Very exciting game. The crowd was going crazy. The band was playing music. Leonard Hamilton and his staff called a timeout. Uh, decided what they were going to do. They inbounded the ball to Raquan Evans, their outstanding athletic, big 6'4", 200-pound point guard. He drove it the length of the court, and unfortunately for us, the official called a foul, and Raquan Evans made uh, two free throws with .8 seconds. We threw it the length of the court, and Isaiah Wong missed a three that would have won it for us. So, very exciting ACC basketball game. No question about it. Your first loss in the conference, again, 5-1. and one, You're atop the ACC, a 13-4 record. Take us through your thoughts on the season right now, particularly, and I don't know if you look at these things, but you were picked to finish third from the bottom uh, in the ACC, and right now about, you know, I mean, we're about, what, a third of the way through the season. Uh, you're atop the conference. Well, what I've told my players and our fans is that the ACC regular season race is a marathon. And it's not a sprint where you get out in front like we have right now, and all of a sudden that means you're going to have a great year. No, it's, it's more like a marathon where we got off to a good start, but now we've got to keep building and improving and, and learning more because every team in our league is capable of beating us and we believe we're capable of beating them. And for us, we've, we've had four straight home games, followed by two straight road games, and we were able to split the road games and win our four at home. So I, I think whoever wins the regular season is going to have to win all of its home games and then you know maybe at least half or more of its road games. Speaking of road games, I mean, you're looking at a Duke team. You go in to come uh, to this area, uh, to Durham, uh, last Saturday. That was a team, not only is a tough team, ranked number two in the country at that time, was 10-0 uh, at home, and you're able to defeat them 76-74. to Take us through that game and coming away uh, in a hostile environment such as Cameron Indoor with that two-point victory. Well, of course, everybody knows that their head coach, Mike Krzyzewski, Coach K, is the winningest college basketball coach in the history of the game. 
And he coaches at a university that is one of the premier basketball programs in all of college basketball. And they play in a legendary arena called Cameron Indoor Stadium where the fans pack it in. The students stand the entire game. They have a great fan base. And it's a national television audience whenever you play Duke. So our players knew how important it was going to be for us to get off to a good start. Uh, we we uh, know if you fall behind Duke, they can bury you. And uh, it came down to the last possession of the game. Uh, we had it again. We ran a play, and Charlie Moore made a basket. Uh, and then he missed the free throw. He got fouled on it, and he missed the free throw. We got the offensive rebound, and Cam Augusti hit the game-winning shot. Jim Laranega is in his 11th season as the head men's basketball coach at Miami. He joins us here on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. The Hurricane scheduled to play North Carolina uh, on Tuesday at home. You've been doing this for a long time. You mentioned Coach K. Obviously, he's been doing it for a long time. It's his last year. You, you all have met uh, quite a few times, more specifically uh, during your time uh, with Miami in the ACC. What are you going to remember most about Coach K? Well, I, I look at Coach K as, as being the premier uh, college basketball coach of all time and that he inspired so many other coaches. You know, not only has done a great job at Duke, but he's also written books. He's, he's produced um, uh, educational videos for coaches at all levels to learn from him, his philosophy, his style, the X's and O's. And he's also uh, the, the head coach or was the head coach of our Olympic team and has won gold medals. So he is the cream of the crop when it comes to college coaching basketball. If you look back to last year, I want to talk about some personnel um, you know, a, a couple of guys that were on this team last year that are spectacular for you. As a matter of fact, two of the best players in the ACC, Cameron Mcgusty and Isaiah Wong. Speak to them and what they've meant to this team specifically this year. Well, Isaiah Wong and Cam Mcgusty play at the two and three position for us with Charlie Moore being our point guard and quarterback. And what Charlie Moore is able to do is get the ball to Isaiah, get the ball to Cam, and those guys are what I call high-octane scorers. They can really score the ball a lot of different ways. Isaiah Wong is great going to the basket. He's got acrobatic layups. He's got uh, mid-range jumpers. He can shoot free throws. Uh, he's just an outstanding scorer. He can shoot the three. Cam Augusti is having an all-league type season. He's our leading scorer. He's also an outstanding three-point shooter, driver. He's got a lot of floaters. He's got, uh, you know, um, a, a, an outstanding free throw. And Cam is also rebounding the ball at a very high level. So I'm very, very proud of both of those guys. They're both playing extremely well right now. They're both very unselfish and very hardworking. Great role models for anybody who, who wants to emulate them. Jim Laranega, the head men's basketball coach at Miami, joins us here on the program. Coach Laranega, I got to take you back. 
You know, I'm a Washingtonian, right? Like, I got to take you back to your days at George Mason. And you know how it is if you're in the area. It's Maryland, you know, especially during that time. It was Maryland. It's Georgetown. It's UVA in terms of from a coverage standpoint. Then it, it's everybody else. It's American. It's George Mason. It's Howard. It's, uh, you know, a bunch. George Washington. It's a bunch of schools. You really put George Mason on the map. Can you speak to that? And by the way, I must also say that I really had a chance to watch uh, Jason Muskiri, who who was uh, uh, your first year, was your, I think your star player, if I'm not mistaken, uh, when he was at Montgomery College, an absolutely phenomenal player. But you really, really put George Mason on the map. Well, uh, first of all, I had a fantastic coaching staff, and they were able to recruit the right, right players for us. One of those coaches is Bill Courtney, who's on my staff at Miami right now. And he helped recruit Jason Muscari, who was our first point guard recruit. He started for us for two years. He was first team all-conference for two years and ended up with the Charlotte Hornets for a short while. And, and uh, he, he uh, led us to our first championship. He was an outstanding worker. He, along with George Evans and a host of other guys, led George Mason to its first championship in 99, and then again in 2001, where we almost upset the Maryland Terrapins in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And then he passed the torch on to several other guys, including my son, John Laranega, who helped us in 2001 almost beat Maryland. And then my coaching staff, Chris Caputo, who's now my associate head coach at, at Miami, he helped recruit our Final Four team with Coach Courtney. And our goal was to get all local products, to get kids from the DMV to come to George Mason. And that's how we built our program and our tradition. And in 2006, with eight players from the DMV, we made it to the Final Four. Yeah, that was definitely a magical run, no question about it. Uh, finally, for Coach Jim Laranega, the head men's basketball coach at Miami, and we appreciate the time. Should be a good battle, a home tilt for you, uh, Coach, on uh, Tuesday uh, as UNC comes uh, comes to Coral Gables. Of course, only one loss uh, for the Tar Heels in the conference as well. Your thoughts uh, on the Tar Heels and the matchup uh, that you have with them on Tuesday? Well, I think they've improved a lot since the beginning of the season. They're playing very, very well right now. Baycoat is a unbelievable big man. He had like 29 and 21 uh, the other day. He's basically an unstoppable force inside. Uh, but Caleb Love is playing uh, terrific. R.J. Davis, uh, they've got a host of big guys. They're going to be a real challenge for us. We've had some great games with the Tar Heels, and I expect Tuesday night will be the same. Jim Laranega, again, in his 11th season as the head men's basketball coach at Miami. The Hurricanes 13-4 and on the season, 5-1 and atop the ACC. Again, a home tilt on Tuesday against UNC. Coach Laranega, appreciate the time. Continued success to you and the Hurricanes. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you, Coach Laranega, for joining us on the program. It's really got that hurricane. The last couple of years has been a struggle for Miami, but he's got the seems to have the program back on the right path and added some new pieces, has some some veterans returning, and the formula for the Hurricanes to this point 
uh, has worked out. Be interested to see. I, I was surprised, a little bit surprised that maybe the Hurricanes weren't in the top 25, especially after the win against Duke number two at the time. But then again, I don't know, maybe the ACC's down a little bit. You don't see as many teams in the top 25 with respect to the ACC as you generally uh, do. But I thought a big win like that um, would have propelled – because remember, at that time, at the after the win, you look at Miami, and Miami hadn't lost a game. First loss in the conference was this past Tuesday against Florida State. So uh, interesting deal, but um, definitely Jim Laranega getting it done at Miami this season. I want to talk some National Football League and give you my predictions for the playoff games. And that's next. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way. Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whitbeard, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. For more information, log on to their website at harlembeernc.com. Donald Ware on ESPNU Radio, right here on Sirius XM. NFL playoffs begin on Saturday. Very much looking forward to to the National Football League playoffs. I look at how some of the teams got in. Like, I like, I'm happy for the Steelers, right? Like, this probably is Ben Roethlisberger's last hurrah. And for the Steelers to be able to get in, and that, that, that's a, it's a great thing. Like, a big win over Baltimore in a tough division matchup, right? I mean, but then you had, I mean, what is up with Indianapolis? Like, Indianapolis losing to Jacksonville uh, is pretty much, I mean, for the most part, is pretty much inexcusable. And not only do the Jaguars beat Indianapolis, right, To because you, you go into this thing wanting to win games. If you're the Jaguars, like, yeah, okay, it'd be great to have the number one overall pick a game, but you want to win football games. So not only do the Jaguars win the football game, but the Jaguars still retain the number one pick for next year. And by the way, in, in talking to Jaguars fans, and of course our affiliate in Jacksonville on XL 1010, how are you guys feeling about next season, right? Like how do you feel about next season with respect to, to the Jaguars I think if you get the right coach in there I mean there's there's some you know there's some players there like I I I don't know like and and I would ask this more specifically about Jaguars fans what do you think about Trevor Lawrence I don't know that his growth was stunted necessarily by Urban Meyer or Urban Meyer staff I mean I can't really say that obviously from a skill set standpoint in terms of stature being able to throw the football, looking like a quarterback. Travis, Trevor Lawrence is that, right? But, like, I mean, do you see that potential in him? You can look at any number of quarterbacks that didn't have great first seasons that went on to have great careers. 
one of the ones, at least more recently, would be, and I'm talking about starting quarterback pretty much from the jump, one of those more recently would be a Peyton Manning, right? Peyton Manning didn't have a great first season at all, but look at the career he had as one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. So Jaguar fans want to know how you're feeling about Trevor Lawrence and this, of course, organization really moving forward. But if you're the Colts, like what in the world are, is going on if you're ultimately the Colts, right? So some really good games on last week. Let's take a look at the, the schedule for this week. It kicks off on Saturday, the Bengals and the Raiders. And I'm happy for, I mean, I'm happy for Las Vegas too. I'm happy for the Raiders as well. I mean, that was a team that was a long shot to get in. And if you look at that Raiders and Chargers game, an opportunity for both to get in if the game resulted in a tie. And I I, I know the Raiders seem like the Raiders may have been playing for a tie. I, I don't. I don't even I don't even get all of that. I mean, I, I I thought like Herm Edwards said, you play to win the game, but ultimately the Raiders did win that game, and it ultimately kicked the Chargers out and put the Steelers in. So two two teams I'm happy for the Raiders and ultimately the Steelers getting in. So let's look at this Raiders and Bengals matchup. The Bengals end the season on a loss uh, with a loss to Cleveland. Doesn't really matter. Uh, as Cincinnati wrapped up that AFC North. And I look at the Raiders. Um, I look at Derek Carr, solid quarterback. No question about that. He's got a he's got a he's got a solid running game. Waller for as his tight end. I mean, that's a solid offense right there. I look at the Bengals. The thing about the Bengals, right? Like you look at Joe Burrow, you look at Lamar Chase. I mean, these guys are young. It's playoff time. I mean, they've been in big moments before right at LSU but again as I'll continue to say when you're talking about when you're talking about pro sports and you're talking about college sports two different things even regardless of talking about playing in and having won a national championship different situation entirely than playing in the National Football League playoffs but I really like the way that the Bengals are playing overall um, even though I'm happy for the Raiders and what the Raiders have been able ultimately to accomplish. I definitely, this game is in Cincinnati. I definitely like the Bengals over the Raiders. I think that the uh, Bengals are playing uh, pretty solidly on both sides of the football, but I, 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 don't, I don't think the moment is going to be too big for Joe Burrow. He is a cool customer, really good quarterback, and I ultimately like the Bengals over the Raiders in Cincy. The Bills and the Patriots. So this is an interesting one, an AFC East matchup. Uh, for me, I, last week I, I said, hey, I think the Bills are a team that can make it to the Super Bowl. And the Bills, for me, are the team that I think are going to make it to the Super Bowl. Now I get it. The weather could play a big factor in this, even though the Bills are, are used to playing. Uh, both teams really are used to playing in cold weather I, I I'm not I'm not going I mean I'm not going with that although I know the last uh, well not the last time but when these two teams got together the first time the weather was uh, of significance and Mac Jones only threw the football three times and Bill Belichick ran the ball every time offensively other than those three times that Mac Jones 
attempted a pass. I, I, I thought the Patriots at one time during the course of this season could be a Super Bowl contender. I, I don't think so as much now. I really like the Bills. Like the, Remember, the Bills were in the AFC Championship game last year. I think this is a Bills team that probably uh, didn't, ha- didn't have the season that they expected to have. It, it, it wasn't a disappointment, obviously, but it, it, I think – I think you're, you know, this was a an organization looking at next level. I don't think I don't think they took a step back at all. But I think now, I mean, you know, that defense can be really good. I think it's going to be really, really good. I think you look at, you know, Josh Allen. You look at, uh, you know, the pass game, and then you look at Singletary, the running back. I think that's the key in the Bills being able to run the football at home. Um, you know, again, I like the Patriots. Patriots defense has been solid all season long. Uh, I think Mac Jones is solid. He's got a solid running game. But I definitely like the Bills over the Patriots in Buffalo. That's all the time I have on today's program. I'll give the rest of my predictions. If you log on to our website at BoxToRow.com, you can find Box to Row on a radio station near you this weekend. And I'll give you the rest of my predictions. Thank you to Jim Laranega for joining us on the program. Also to Isaiah Land for joining us today here on Box to Row. As always, if you've missed any conversation, any shows, log on to our website, BoxToRow.com. And always remember to support those that support your Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM is produced by DWK.